Jess. And I'm Mariah. And this is Ghoulish Gals Podcast. Okay. Okay. We're doing what today? Okay. We're doing uh, this Alcatraz. Is the last part. part I'm going to do of Alcatraz, part okay. three of Alcatraz. I could do so much more on Alcatraz. Oh, I'm sure. We could have but, made like a whole mini series. Yeah. Like, and like I do get into later on, like the big escape that everybody knows about, um, mm-hmm. the guys that were never found. I basically just run through how they made their escape and then we'll just talk about like a couple of like the main theories i could have literally done probably a two-part episode on just what happened with just them and i was like no it's already been a lot so if you want me to go like even further into that and do theories and stuff let us know send us we can do we can actually um we're talking about some different stuff i'm gonna put a poll out on instagram here because uh, you've heard us mention it before. Mariah's pregnant. Like, super pregnant. She's going to be giving birth here very soon. Like, a couple months. So, <laughs> like, we're trying to figure out a recording schedule because it's going to be rough. I, I'm pregnant right now, but I have a two-year-old. Yeah. So, so. we want to know from you guys, do you want us to keep doing two a week? Do you want... A short episode and a long episode a week. We could do a short one on Tuesday and the long one on Friday. Do you want a long episode, like a really long episode, like every other week? We want to know what you want. And like, we could start doing like some reading your guys' stories too, if people start sending them. To ghoulishgalspodcast (laughs) at yahoo.com. Please send us emails. I think I was talking to my friend... Um, just a couple days ago and she was like she told me she's like oh I just got like caught up on the podcast and whatever and I was like oh good I'm glad you got caught up because there's not gonna be any new episodes this week she's like damn I know sorry it just um, it happened that way she said she has loads of stories so she will please please send them in uh we also might be doing during after she gives birth we I have a couple friends that might help me guest host and uh, if we only did little episodes with them, that would be cool. Or or if you um, send in your stories and they can read listener stories. Yeah, we can read listener <laughs> stories. and Or they can just react to the stuff that I find. I mean, whatever. We, we have um, lots of options. We but... do. We just don't want to abruptly change stuff without you guys' opinion. You guys' right. Your guys' opinion. We want to know if you like the format now or not. If we have to break from the format for a couple months while she readjusts to life with two children uh, and heals from having a baby, it won't be that long. But anyway, I'll yeah, make a, we'll, I'll we'll make a whole updated. a whole post and uh, a poll on Instagram on our page. So make sure you're following Ghoulish Gals Podcast on Instagram and Ghoulish Gals Pod on Twitter. Because apparently some people aren't following. And if they are following, they're not seeing our posts, which is say, upsetting. Which is our posts out. Yeah. So we just want to keep you guys updated. Just make sure to check the Instagram and the Twitter for updates. Also, fun. Fun oh, today. Yeah. So, well, the day that we're recording this, yeah. um, 
We went. made a trip to Al Capone's grave. Um, in case you're curious where he's buried, it is the Mount Carmel Cemetery in um, Hillside, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And it, that the place, place is massive. It's gorgeous. So cool. But massive. Um, there's a lot of mobsters and stuff from the like greater Chicago area buried there. Um, well, not all of them interred, buried, whatever, because there's a lot of mausoleums there. Yeah, but there was still quite a few of them that were actually buried. Oh, yeah. And there was one of them we tried to look up, and we're like, it's just out in the middle somewhere with a very small gravestone. I don't know. Yeah, it was just like a plaque, <laughs> and we, we were in the car, and we had my toddler with us, so we couldn't really get out and look around. But we drove around um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It was really, really cool. And we got to most of the mobsters' graves. Two-year-old's attention span in the car seat was not having it, yeah. so we went to go um, get Wendy's. She wanted some chicken nuggies. <laughs> yeah, we asked her what she wants for lunch and nuggets. All right, okay. nuggies it is. Sounds good, girlfriend. Oh, anyway, that's um, a little that's a little yeah. life update. So watch the TikTok because we took videos, but we still have to edit them and stuff. Mm-hmm. It'll be up soon. It should hopefully be up by the time this comes out. Oh yeah, if not, for sure. we're working on it. Mm-hmm. We're new to TikTok, okay. Well, we're new to posting on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I get, all right. I'm not new to TikTok. I just don't post on TikTok. I did when I first made my TikTok. And they were all like eight second, like terrible cringe videos. And I really should just go delete them. Excuse you. (laughs) It's also bedtime. So if you hear Mm -hmm. anything, I'm sorry. Um, I haven't soundproofed the basement yet. Because it's not my basement. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we really need to sound because we do dandy and stuff now that's eh, fine we currently have a mini fort I'm, yeah i'm gonna take um, a picture of it and put it on we're instagram kind of pulling an em and christine from and that's why we drink it's not a plunger fort we're not that cool but no we don't have a plunger fort but we have a, a mini blanket fort kind of a little bit it's it's a makeshift yeah. <laughs> and we have twizzlers so anyway alcatraz Yes, I'm on, tra- on topic. Sorry. Let me put this twizzler down. I just I just wanted to give a little life update because I feel like they need one. Mm-hmm. And especially since, you know, we went without posting, we both felt bad, but life gets in the way sometimes. And right. I work nights and she's a full-time mom, so. Right. And I'm, we're trying to get our house ready for a second baby. And it's a lot. We just moved into this house like a few months ago. We're really trying. And I was like pretty pregnant when we moved. <laughs> so... I'm a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, we picked a really good time to start a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) We should have done this last October. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) We did it now. It's fine. Alcatraz part three. Yay. Remember, guys, brevity is not her strong suit. She cannot be brief. Yeah, that's why. Me, um, on the other hand. (laughs) That's why I had to kind of cut my research short with, like, the escape. Because I could have gone on. And on and on. So again, if you want me to like go more into theories and stuff, send an email, and like we can, I can do a whole nother um, mm-hmm. episode and stuff about it. Email is ghoulishgalspodcast at yahoo.com. Okay, so I did promise you more on Al Capone and like what happened. He went cuckoo nut man. How? Why? Whatever. Um, so, I decided to start part three with Al Capone. Um, just a little background. I could do so much more background on him, but I tried uh-huh. to keep it. This is me keeping it brief. Okay. On Al Capone. Okay. 
and it's a couple pages of notes. Oh, good lord. But um, some of it's like other stuff. I think we might have talked about it in part two. Um, if it didn't make the episode like you and I talked about it. I, anyways, it's a lot. But um, his real name is Alphonse Capone. Um, I did not know this, but his nickname was Scarface. Scarface? Yeah, so apparently... Did he have a scar? I don't remember him having a scar. Well, I didn't know his nickname was Scarface, but the thing that I read was like, oh yeah, it's because like another prisoner um, slashed him oh. uh, at one point or another. But he was born a few days after me, but many years. <laughs> uh, January 17th of 1899. And he died January 25th of 1947, which I just thought was interesting. Huh. That's like pretty close. Yeah. Um, Day-wise. Oh, he did have a scar. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Um, My bad. He was born in New York City, and his parents were Italian immigrants. Their names were Gabrielle and Teresa Capone. So his father was a barber, and his mother was a seamstress. So, I mean, not the most lucrative jobs. Um, he grew up very poor in New York in yeah. the early 1900s. Is that when was the Great Depression? What about the 40s? 1930, wasn't it? No. <laughs> I remember paying attention in history class. I'm pregnant. My brain doesn't <laughs> work. Oh, please hold. <laughs> ah, it was 1929 to 1939. I was kind of right. Close enough. <laughs> Fucker. When was he born again? I already forgot. When was he born? He was born 1899. Ah. Um, well, and, like, he was big, like, during Prohibition and stuff. Yeah, so that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Um, so, he was kicked out of school uh, <laughs> at 14 for hitting one of his teachers in the face. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. At this time, like, the anti- Italian, you know, uh, anti-immigrant stuff was, yeah. like, really big, especially in schools. And it was just a really big thing. Everything that I was reading was saying that, like, it was kind of just common for... Teachers to just say stupid shit? Well, it was pretty common for the teachers to, like, really zone in and really just pick on, like, immigrant children or, like, children of immigrants... Hal himself was not an immigrant, but his, he was the child of immigrants. He was, yeah. And, of course, he had, like, loads of brothers, and he's poor, which already doesn't help your case, and then you're an immigrant, and your teachers are picking on you. So, the reason he hit her, and there's, like, witnesses, like, this is pretty well documented, is because she hit him, and he just hit her right back. Hmm. He was like, nope, fuck you. Okay, that's fair. However, he got kicked out of school for it at 14 years old. So now he's 14. He's just been kicked out of school. And now he joins two street gangs. The Brooklyn Rippers and the 40 Thieves Juniors. Jets and Sharks. I guess. <laughs> um, I can't stand. So, I try. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> I can't. I love how I Morticia Adams snapped. You I was did. Like, ah. I can, wait. I can do it with my left hand. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. West Side Story, this bitch. <laughs> fucking love that sorry so don't sue us <laughs> so throughout his you know his career his net worth at the time of his death 
what is between like a hundred million um and, and like in that 1.5 million uh which apparently uh, today is around 1.5 billion <laughs> he did not gain his money in the best of ways obviously you no. you know got kicked out of school at 14 you joined two street gangs so his money really came from numerous racketeering operations like bootlegging um during the prohibition uh loads of prostitution gambling etc etc killing people taking their money yeah and then like you know the protection like i'll pay you pay me but you have to Uh you know allegedly yes thank you because that was not coming out of my mouth (laughs) (laughs) allegedly he was making around a hundred thousand dollars per week a week Per week. God damn, I'm in the wrong fucking business. I was too um, shooketh to figure that out for inflation like today. Um, so $100,000 per week at that time. In the 20s? Yes. And so because he was making all this money, he was actually giving loads of money back to the community. Kind of like Robin Hooding it almost. On a pretty regular basis. So a lot of people in the community actually really liked him. I mean, obviously, a lot of people wanted him in prison. You know, he's not doing this by good means. However, a lot of people still really liked him. And by the age of 26, only 26. I'm 27. You just turned 20 fucking eight. By the age of 26, younger than both of us are now. He was a really powerful crime boss. Not only did he have, like, protection from the law enforcement, but also he had political protection. Like, he had protection from, like, political figures. And he would use, like, bribery uh, to influence elections. Wow, lots changed. I don't like that face. I don't want to know how much money this man was making. You said how much was he making a week? A hundred thousand. So I just typed in, like, January 1920, okay, to now in 2023, $1,558,756 and, like, almost 50 cents a week. I didn't want to know. My broke ass could never. We're in the wrong business, Mariah. We really are. We need to just become mobsters. Fuck everything else. Listen, I'm a Capricorn. I got this. <laughs> Are you with me, Capricorns? Let's go. But, yeah, so if he wasn't able to bribe to influence the elections, he just straight up used intimidation. And if you got it, flaunt it. Am I right? Am For I real? Right? So, there was some sources I read that said he actually had more political influence than the mayor. The mayor. The, the mayor. The mayor at the time. So, obviously, he wanted to make sure that his part in all of the uh, illegal breweries uh, was um, continuing to be successful. Your political protection and law enforcement protection only goes so far for that. So, he mm-hmm. was just using, like, violent murder cool. to, to keep his illegal breweries successful you and like making that. money. You like that? Yeah, you know... Pretty much, like, essentially, he could not be touched. He allegedly had over half of the police force in his pocket at the time. Yeah, that sounds all right. And the mayor didn't like him because he had more influence than 
he did. Well, yeah, I mean, when you got a mob yeah. boss breathing down your neck, or you got the mayor, who are you going to go for? Right. The mob boss. Well, remember, <laughs> at this time, a lot of the community still likes Al Capone. Yeah. He is giving thousands of dollars back to the community. So, like... What's the mayor doing? Exactly. <laughs> Collecting taxpayer dollars. Exactly. <laughs> so... Even at this point in time, a pretty good portion of the population still likes him. It wasn't until the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that the citizens really began to be like, you better take care of him. You better handle this. He's a menace now. Um, We don't like him. So, again, this is another one of the things I could have gone so much more into detail about. It's such a huge thing. However, I... that's its own thing. Yeah, exactly. I tried to keep it pretty short for me anyway. But the more research I was doing, um, like, later on, the more I realized that this is actually pretty important to his story and, like, what really went down in his noggin. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I had to go back in and, like, add more into my notes for this. Um, I do... I do remember hearing about that portion of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's early 1929, and Capone and his organization have most of the illegal liquor trade in Chicago. There were other racketeers, mm-hmm. but the other big ones were the North Side Gang, and they wanted in. Okay, they wanted a piece of this bootlegging business because it was profitable. You know, if you're making $100,000 a week, yeah, it's profitable. Okay. So one of the men in that gang, um, he went by Bugs Morin. He was a longtime rival of Capone. And so Capone decided that Bugs was too much of a threat and had to go. So February 14th, 1929, some of Capone's men were posing as cops. And so they launched a fake raid onto the Northside gang. Like, they went in, mm-hmm. were police, you're being raided, da 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 And so the Northside gang believed that these were real cops. And so they were cooperating. They didn't put up a fight. They were doing mm-hmm. what they were told. They thought these were real police officers. Um, and to be honest, it sounds like Capone could have just gone to the police and been like, hey, uh, do this for me. Here's, yeah. like, money, you know? Yeah. But he didn't. It was his gang. And so Capone's men told them to line up and face the wall. Oh, God. They then brutally killed them with machine guns. Like, Capone's yeah. men just pulled out machine guns and just... Mm-hmm. I know that sounded like a fart sound. <laughs> That's as close as I can get to... Uh... Okay, see, there you go. <laughs> Bugs, however survived there's a couple different like reasons that he survived like one of them said that he was driving there and saw the car that you know was the Mm -hmm. police but he recognized it as belonging to capone's organization and so he never went in Mm. um and then the main one that i read was because he was somehow alerted ahead of time these photos of the slaughter were released like at the time yeah they used to release that stuff but like if you look at them i'm not queasy with stuff like that i'm somebody who wanted to be an autopsy technician still do 
but like they're brutal like do not look up those pictures if you have a weak stomach um it's not pretty but these photos were released to the public at the time and this really damaged capone's reputation among his political allies and so his political allies finally decided that they had to take action and do something about him the issue was that they had no solid proof to tie him to the slaughter. Like, it was pretty well known that... He probably you did know, it, but there wasn't any yeah. concrete evidence. Yeah. Per he usual. He kept his hands clean. Yeah, because he wasn't there. Right. He and was, like He just gave the order, but are you really going to go to the fucking mafia and make them turn on their boss? Right, especially when their boss is Al Capone. (laughs) Fuck no! So this meant they had to find a different way to bring him in. So in May of 1929, he was arrested for carrying a gun on a trip to Philadelphia. And at that time, he was sentenced to a term in Philadelphia's Eastern State Penitentiary. So this is where he pretty much had like the cushiest time oh, of his life. Oh, this is where his his fanciest yes. um, digs were at. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So all of the other cells were like pretty bare, except for like a slab for a bed, basically, and then like a sink and toilet mm-hmm. and whatever. They were pretty bare bones. His cell, however, was luxurious. He had fine furniture. He had oil paintings, a radio. He had his own personal bedding. And he was having home-cooked meals. What? He had telephone privileges. He was even allowed visits from other gang land pals. However, the visits were allowed at Chicago's Cook County Jail, not Eastern State Penn. But still, given his influence and everything, he was allowed visitors from other gang members. So then in 1931... After a huge undercover operation, they were finally able to really get him so that he could actually fucking go away, right? They got him on tax evasion. (laughs) So, first of all... You mean for all of his billions of dollars or millions back then? Yeah. He he was on tax evasion? Yeah, I wonder why. He was keeping that for himself. First of all, can you imagine being the undercover officers? No. I'd be shitting my pants. Every day. God, I'd be he's like, great. This is today. the day he figures it out and I'm dead. I'm gonna die. That's the Fuck. Honey, don't wait for me. I don't know if I'll be coming home. Second of all, can you imagine being Al Capone and the thing they get you on is tax evasion? No. I'd, I'd be, be pissed. pissed. I'd be I'd be like for real. Fucking Out mad. of all the things, who's my fucking bookie? Because obviously they right. fucked up. Clearly they're not doing their job. They should have. Okay. They left a fucking trail and now I'm fucking. I bet you that guy did not live very long. Oh, probably not. No, probably not. So they were able to nail him, right? But technically, he's still only a white collar criminal. Mm-hmm. They're getting him on tax evasion. They're not getting him on all this bootlegging and all this murder. Right. They're getting him on tax evasion. Technically, that's like a stay at like a normal prison. Yeah. So, quite a few people thought it was like pretty unusual for him to be going to Alcatraz. Right. 
Because that's, like, for the worst of the worst. That's why I'm like, what the fuck did this bitch do in prison? I shouldn't call him that. However. What did he do? (laughs) Many people thought he was just kind of a PR thing. So that the um, government could show off their new prison and justify the cost. Because Alcatraz was expensive. Oh, I bet it was with its hundred cannons. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to ever be over these fucking hundred cannons. I was literally talking to Sam about the hundred cannons. I was like, did you know that it was a military thing? And he's like, no, not out. Maybe I did. I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. Did you know that when they built the first military fortress over there, they had a hundred cannons and they didn't fire them ever <laughs> and he's like i'm like you know how salty i am about these hundred fucking cannons what a waste of money if you're gonna buy and make a hundred fucking cannons you better be shooting them bitches off at least right. once a year just right. for the fuck of it <laughs> sorry i'll get off my soapbox about the hundred cannons this is not the first nor the last time you'll be hearing about them during this series um but everybody just thought he was getting sent out. Al- he was notorious. Like, everybody knew who Al Capone was. Yeah. So they were like, oh, well, that kind of explains it. At Alcatraz, he got the same treatment as everybody else. Yeah. So in one source, so we know Alcatraz was like, no bueno. There was like a lot of not so great stuff going on. So in one source, an inmate said that the only thing that didn't happen to Capone was that he didn't get beat like a lot of the prisoners. Mm. His actual quote was, Al Capone gets no more privileges than the rest, except that he does not get beaten or thrown into the dungeon. He has too much political influence for that. So even other like prisoners of Alcatraz were picking up on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, like, other than not getting the shit kicked out of him, he wasn't getting any special treatment. He did the same stuff as all the other inmates. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, he... He ate the was same like, meals. Yeah, so. ate the same meals. He was sweeping the same floors, you know. Showering at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So now, timeline's gonna be a little wonky. So what really happened to him at Alcatraz, right? Like, we know he was going cuckoo nut man. And there's all these stories about how he was screaming at night and, Mm -hmm. you know, what really happened. Well, for years, remember how he was doing all the prostitution? Yeah. For years, he had been dealing with syphilis. He had had syphilis for years. And many people thought it was because, He was going crazy because of syphilis. Well, a lot of people thought he contracted it it because he was kind of dipping his toe in. To, you know, his little funds a little bit, you know. You're a big mob boss. And so it was said in more than one source, the reason he never got treatment was because he was just too embarrassed. (laughs) So I can't imagine treatment for syphilis in the (sighs) 1920s was great. It's not great. Yeah. But, you know, there was treatment available. Sticking a bunch of needles in that small ones that that yeah. <laughs> so uh, regardless of like if he was embarrassed or not, his syphilis went totally untreated Ugh. for the entire time he had it. Again, 
It is treatable, and now the sources I was reading say it is curable. Mm-hmm. But back then, I, it wasn't oh, really well, curable. No. It was just kind of put a band aid on it, treat it a little bit, so it don't look so crazy. So, <laughs> just so you really like understand what was happening to him, I kept this as non-graphic as I could. Syphilis, okay, starts with a sore. If that sore is left untreated, then it turns in, there's a second stage, like it's, it's like really bad and infected and gross. Mm -hmm. Um, and then left untreated, if that continues to be left untreated, it turns into tertiary. If that happens, it can actually affect most of the organ systems, um, the heart and blood vessels, the brain and the nervous system. Do you see where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. It damages your internal organs and essentially kills you from the inside out. Yeah. Cause you're basically going septic at this point. Yes. In a sense. Yeah. Very kind of. slow septic. Septic. So there are three different types, basically. There's neurosyphilis. Mm. Obviously, that's your brain. Mm-hmm. There's ocular syphilis. Oh, obviously, God. that's your eye. And the one that freaks me out the most because I have ear issues is uh, <gasps> osteosyphilis or autosyphilis. Sorry. It's can autosyphilis. You, can you read your writing? I can read my writing. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I spilled some. Uh, oh. oh no, I didn't spill. I tried to take a drink of coffee and um, it went down the wrong pipe. Oh. <laughs> all over my fucking notes. So like, if you see, they're like all smeared. It's fine. Everything is fine. I was just, you know. But yeah, so there's brain, eye, and ear syphilis essentially. I don't want that in my ears. No. Oh God, gross. I don't want it uh. in any part of me. Well, but... right, right. Like, Hopefully, can you leave my ears alone, right? please. Now, untreated syphilis at any stage can develop into any of these. Any. Really. Of these three, yeah. Oh, so the bacteria just travels and latches onto something else, and then it's like ah. <laughs> yep. Um, and so Al, unfortunately, because his had gone untreated for so long, it had developed into neurosyphilis. I don't even want to know what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> My brain went there. Um, like, so his, his wife had to know something was up. Right? So anyways, <laughs> I, like I said, I tried to keep this as brief and non-graphic as possible. Okay. I did look at, like, pictures of, like, what it looks like and, like, what the sores look like. And I was like, disgusting. damn, that's, um, that's rough, buddy. Not good. Uh, However, um, his had gone untreated for so long. It's now turned into neurosyphilis. And now it's been eating away at his brain. (laughs) Uh, So by the time he got to Alcatraz, he had already begun to hallucinate and had symptoms very similar to, like, dementia. Alzheimer's, dementia. And he you know. wasn't that old at this point either. He was only, what, like 40 something? Well, he wasn't even that old when he died. Right. I don't. Early medicine. Early US medicine. Early European medicine blows my fucking mind. Okay. Like, it's like there's a thought process there, but it's not. It's not mm-hmm. where it needs to be. Okay. He gets to Alcatraz, and the prison doctors decided, well, let's try an experimental treatment. <laughs> let's see if we can help you. They were taking the malaria virus and injecting him with it. Because their theory... Okay, so theoretically, the malaria virus is going to raise his temperature, and it's going to kill the syphilis. 
That's not how any of this works. So, you know. This Don't treatment... do this, kids. This is not <laughs> approved medicine. Okay? Okay. This treatment almost killed him. I wonder uh, why. So then they tried again. Okay. So I just want to restate the quote that the inmate said, oh, he doesn't get beaten, thrown in the dungeon. No. He just gets uh, malaria injected into him. He's just a guinea pig for weird medical experiments. Which I mean, okay, fine, whatever. But I mean, do you think this is going to help? I see the logic that you tried to go with, but I don't comprehend the logic. I see it. I see what you were trying to do. But I mean, listen. Because fevers are bad for you. Fevers don't. We're we're not ovens. Listen. <laughs> when okay. We get to hot, be our fair, body freaks out. To be fair, uh, one of the most prevalent tuberculosis treatments was you just need some fresh air. Oh yeah. Just Go sit outside in the fresh sun air. and in the cold too, the mind fu- you. Yeah, it's really gonna help. So, so he nearly <sighs> dies a second time after they tried the treatment again. Uh-huh. So this, you know, I said it's going to get a little wonky, the timeline. Now uh-huh. we're going to jump back to Eastern State for a second. Um, his stay at Eastern State, as cushy as it was, was kind of the beginning of the end uh, for his sanity. Mm. So while he was here, um, though he did have his own, like, private cell, he believed there was someone else in that cell with him. Mm. He would shout every night. He would shout out and be like, Jimmy, leave me alone. Like, he was constantly telling Jimmy to leave him alone. Other prisoners would hear him shouting at night. And apparently, our man was having conversations with someone. And uh, people were Mm. hearing this. Oh, Lord. After he left Eastern State, Jimmy just kind of stuck with him. Jimmy never left him. He even tried to have a psychic get Jimmy to leave him alone, but it didn't work, obviously. Uh, His fear got so bad that sometimes, um, you know, he's not at Eastern State anymore. He's Uh been released. And so sometimes his bodyguards would rush into his room at night because they thought he was being attacked. Because he was, like, freaking out so bad. And they would simply find him alone in the room and utterly terrified. Al Capone. Ooh. Okay. So, now he ends up going to Alcatraz. So now we're back at Alcatraz. Okay. Okay. We're jumping around, I know. Stick with me. So this (laughs) bizarre behavior continues to happen. In his remaining days at Alcatraz, sometimes he was with it, sometimes he was cuckoo nut man, um, there is an author of the book Al Capone, uh, which is a biography. The author's name is Luciano J. Lorizzo. He wrote, quote, his behavior became totally unpredictable. Model prisoner could become raging lunatic. And so Al was actually released from Alcatraz in January of 1939. However, he still had some time left on his sentence, so they kind of just sent him to finish that time at federal prisons all over. He was in Los Angeles, 
Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, he did stay very briefly in Baltimore for some medical treatment. And then he went to his home estate on Palm Island near Miami. He was in and out of his sanity until the day that he died, which was, again, January 25th, 1947. Damn. Only eight days after he turned 48 years old. Fun fact, on his death certificate, they listed his occupation as retired. <laughs> fun fact. That's, like, actually a fun fact. I did not know that, and I just thought that was pretty interesting. Huh. Yeah, he's retired. From what exactly? He's oh, retired. You know. He's retired. In Miami. <laughs> on his island estate. Yeah, so, um, basically the theory is that he was hallucinating because of the syphilis, was seeing Jimmy, who was part of the Northside gang. Jimmy was one of the men that was killed. Mm-hmm. And so the theory was that he was hallucinating, he was feeling bad, you know, like he was feeling guilty. And so that Jimmy was tormenting him. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. He went totally cuckoo nut man because Jimmy wouldn't leave him alone. Jimmy wouldn't go. I have a theory. Jimmy came and haunted his ass till the day he died. Yeah. And not yeah. just in his brain holes. Like, did not cross over. Ghost haunted oh, him yeah. forever. I could see it. I could totally see it. Along with Erwin. Um, <laughs> um, of course, there's several other theories, but they're kind of just weird little theories. I just mm. kind of left them out. I was like, ah. Uh, now we're going to get to the escape attempts. Okay. All right. Alcatraz, this unescapable fortress, right? 36 men total tried to escape of those 36 two of those men had tried to escape twice 14 total escape attempts officially no one ever escaped but there are five prisoners that are listed as missing and presumed drowned i'm sure you know like the the three so i'm just going to give a quick rundown of all the dates of the escape attempts nothing about them just the dates April 27th of 1936, December 16th of 1937, May 23rd, 1938, January 13th, 1939, May 21st, 1941, another one in 1941 in September, um, April 14th, September 43. Do I have to keep saying the 19? Do we know no. we're in the 1900s? No. Um, August 7th no of 1943, uh, July 31st of 1945, May 2nd through the 4th of 1946, and that was the big one. That was oh. the Battle of Alcatraz. We talked about yeah. that in part two. Yeah, yeah. Um, July 23rd of 1956, September 29th of 1958, June 11th of 1962, and that's the big one. That's the one that pretty much everybody at least has heard of. And then December 16th of 1962. And then I believe in 1963, they closed down. So pretty regular escape attempts um, for a place that's unescapable. You got a lot of people trying to uh, get out. Of get out. And some of them kind of made like pretty good progress. Like the Battle of Alcatraz. If y'all could have yeah. nailed that down better, y'all would have been out of there. Hell yeah. So, I did find, I didn't put it in my notes, 
because like I said, there's just so much. But I did find there's a documentary on Disney Plus about Alcatraz, and it's called like Draining Alcatraz or something like that. And in that, they do talk about the 1962 escape, like the one that I'm about to talk about. Um, But they also talked about another escape where two inmates had made it out, and they tried to like swim across the bay. And one of them was found, I believe they said, on Angel Island. Um, which was very close Mm -hmm. to Alcatraz Island. And the other one had managed to get to the base of the Golden Gate Bridge, but, like, one of the ones in the water, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they found him, they said that he was absolutely exhausted. Yeah. And he just kind of stayed there. He didn't put up any fight to go back to Alcatraz. He just, "Uh, here I come. Take me back. And I think that's, like, really important because, like, one of the big things was, like, these three men tried to swim across, but if that man made it only to the base of the Golden Gate Bridge in the water, mm-hmm. and they talked about like a lot more. Anyways, I'll I'll kind of get more into it um, a little bit later. But so we we are on June eleventh of nineteen sixty two. This is the most famous escape, arguably. A lot of people also know about like the Battle of Alcatraz, but arguably this is the most famous one. Three men, Frank Morris. And then the Anglin brothers, John and Clarence, disappeared and they were never seen again. There was also a fourth man. Uh, his name was Alan West. He was also believed to have been involved. Uh, the mastermind, in fact, as he later admits. But um, he was still in his cell when the escape was discovered. Huh. So, um... Why would the mastermind not go with? I get into it. Okay. Um... Firstly, because I know some people don't, like, need all the details or don't care about all the details, I kind of went briefly over it, and then I go, like, a little bit deeper. Um, So, briefly, there was this crazy, intricate escape plot. It involved homemade drills that they used to make the vent holes bigger, Mm. false wall segments, realistic dummy heads made with real human hair. They put those heads in the beds so that they were counted in the nighttime counts. The men left their cells through the vent holes that were on the back wall of the cell. Now, behind the back wall of the cell, there was a utility corridor. And so they had used the homemade drills to make the vent holes bigger. They'd used the false wall segments to hide the holes. And then they went to the utility corridor, which was behind their cells. Now, that had locked steel doors on either end. But it also had... A lot of plumbing. Oh. They climbed the plumbing. Oh, yeah. Up. They climbed up the pipes to gain access to the roof through the air vent, like on the top. Mm -hmm. And the air vent was blocked with iron bars, but they had previously bent them. Now, this took months. Okay, months. So they got up, Mm -hmm. got into the air vent got through onto the roof they then climbed down a drain pipe on the northern end of the cell house and headed towards the water okay then it's believed that they left the island from the northeast side by the powerhouse and the quartermaster building they used prison issued raincoats to make life vests and a pontoon style raft and then when the cell house was searched they found the drills the dummy heads, the wall segments, and all of the other tools that they had used to make their escape. 
when they searched the water, they found two of the life vests. They found one in the bay and they found the second outside of the Golden Gate. And they also found oars and some letters and some photographs that had belonged to the Anglin brothers. These letters and photographs were carefully wrapped so that they would remain watertight Mm -hmm. and would not get, like, ruined. So they find on all this stuff, they have found no sign of the men. Weeks after the escape, the body of a man was found, dressed in clothing, very similar to the prison uniforms, a short distance up the coast from San Francisco. Unfortunately, the body was too badly deteriorated to identify. Hmm. Officially, the men are listed as missing and presumed drowned. That's the short of it. Now I go into like a little more detail. So, uh, Frank Morris was in and out of the correctional system his entire life, from foster home to foster home. Mm. He was convicted of his first crime at only 13 years old. By the time he was in his later teen years, not his later years, his later teen years, his criminal record would include narcotics possession to armed robbery by his late teens. Damn, boy. He deserved his place at Alcatraz. Um, Damn. He was sent to Alcatraz in 1960, and a lot of prison officials credited him as possessing superior intelligence. So he's smart. You have all these brains, and yet you do this shit. So he was sent to Alcatraz because of his pattern of escape attempts. January 18th of 1960, he went to Alcatraz officially and became inmate number AZ1441. And so the Anglin brothers, John and Clarence, were serving their sentences at Alcatraz for bank robbery. They did have a brother, and his name was Alfred. So originally they were all convicted together, all three brothers. Oh. And all three of them were sent to the federal penitentiary in Atlanta. This is when they met Frank Morris for the first time. Now, John and Clarence were also at Alcatraz because of a string of escape attempts. (laughs) Y'all just be trying. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you're there for life, pretty much. Now, that fourth guy, Alan West. Yeah. At the time of the escape, he was actually serving his second term at Alcatraz. His reputation was as an arrogant criminal. That was his reputation. He knew John Anglin from the state penitentiary in Florida. Because remember, the Anglin brothers have also lived a life of crime. Mm -hmm. So, Alan West knew John Anglin from Florida. The Anglin brothers knew Frank Morris from the penitentiary in Atlanta. It's like this big web. The whole escape plan started. Okay, remember, it takes place in 1962. Yeah. It started in December of 1961. (laughs) They'd been working at it for months. 1961, December is when it starts. Yeah going to reiterate again they left they made their escape on june june 11th of 1962 months 
That's like six-ish months. About six months, yeah. So the plan started with some old saw blades. <laughs> West allegedly found them in one of the utility corridors while he was cleaning. Because, you know, oh. they, the oh, prisoners yeah. were like the ones who had to clean and, and do upkeep, everything. Yeah. yeah. So in later interviews, Alan West took credit for masterminding the whole plan. He's the one who said... Yeah, it was all my plan. This plan included the lifelike dummy heads, which were made of plaster, flesh tone paint, real human hair. Okay. They used tools that were crudely made. Like, they used things that they had made themselves. They pieced together whatever they could get their hands yeah. on to make the shit. They used the tools to dig. And to construct the accessories that they would need to make their escape. So, by May of 1962, the men had already dug through the cells, like the the vents in the back of the cells, which yeah. initially were six inches by nine inches. Those vent holes were six inches by nine inches. And they had used the drills and, you know, their makeshift, like, shovels, essentially, to dig through there and make those bigger. The Anglin brothers were in adjacent cells, and West and Morris were in adjacent cells, and they were all near each other. So all four oh. cells are near each other, but the brothers are adjacent, mm -hmm. and West and Morris are adjacent. In order to get all this shit done, all this digging, all this drilling that they needed to get done, they would take shifts. Yeah. So, like, one working, one would be, like, on lookout duty. They would work and dig and whatever they were doing from 5.30 p.m. until 9 p.m., which was just before the lights out, like, head yeah. count. So the Anglin brothers had also started to make the dummy heads, you know, plaster. The plaster they used was a mixture that they made themselves. It included basic materials like soap, toilet paper, and cement powder. Yeah. Obviously, I'll post pictures of them, but they're very reminiscent of, like, Michael Myers, like, mask. Mm -hmm. Like, they're actually pretty realistic. Yeah, it's creepy. I mean, like, good on them. They really oh, wanted yeah. this shit. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> fun fact that's not so fun, but it's kind of weird. They named the heads. They named the dummy heads. Oh. Um, they named them Oink and Oscar. Oink and Oscar? Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know. The paint they had used was from prison art kits. The hair was from the barber shop, and they stole glue from the glove shop. They used the glue to stick together the cut pieces of the raincoats to make the, um, like, really crude homemade life vests and the raft. They were getting all of this on their work details, which, you know, are not, like, hours upon hours yeah. upon... It's, like, a couple hours here and there. Yeah. And they're getting all of this. And they can't take a lot at a time. They, they gotta be able to, like, smuggle yeah. a little bit at a time. Nearly six months or six-ish months is how long mm -hmm. they spent doing this shit. So, like, at the end of their work shifts, they would hide all of the stolen goods and all of the work they were doing on the top of the cell block to minimize the chance of getting caught. So the tools they used, right? The drills. West. You know, the, the yeah. great mastermind. He was somehow able 
to like yoink an electric hair clipper while he was working in the barber shop on a paint detail he wasn't working in the barber shop like in the barber shop yeah he was, he was like painting a, yeah repainting the walls yeah and managed to somehow yoink an electric razor okay he used the clippers and some drill bits the drill bits were stolen by another inmate they took them from the industries building. He like pieced together a a weird like makeshift motorized drill. I mean, good on you, dude. Whatever works works. Except the motor from the clippers ended up being too small. Oh well, yeah. But now he catches another lucky break, and now West learns that the prison's vacuum had recently broken, and. Oh. He was given permission to attempt to fix it. Oh. That's smart, prison guards, but whatever. (laughs) How do you get away with that one? So while he was looking at the vacuum, he'd noticed that it had two motors. Not one, but two motors in the vacuum. So he was able to remove one of them. He must have been like a pretty handy guy. Yeah. Because he removed one motor but he was also somehow able to make the second motor work to, like, keep suspicion off, off of him. I'm impressed, my guy. I'm, I'm impressed. I am impressed, my guy. However, all this work and the vacuum motor also didn't work. <laughs> um, they, they had limited success with it, okay? They tried to drill out the roof ventilator, but they... Couldn't really because the vacuum motor was too loud. <laughs> uh, and apparently it also was not very effective. Yeah. But, you know, chip away at it enough, I think you could have used it. It's just, it was loud. So now it's been months at this point since they started preparing. Jesus. At this point, they finished making the gear that they needed. However, they're still working to get the top ventilator loosened. Yeah. So that they can get out. Right. John Anglin, very carefully, through all of this, was completing the valve assembly on the raft, which was 6 feet by 14 feet. Now, Frank Morris mm-hmm. was able to modify an instrument called a concertina, which is essentially, it's uh, basically like an accordion. Yeah. And Super he was little. able to modify that so they could use it to, like, inflate oh, uh-huh. the raft more quickly. Yeah, because uh, accordions and yeah. them have the bladders inside and can... Yeah. Because they're powered by air. I'm a music nerd. <laughs> so, everyone else uh, is making good progress on their digging, except for West, who was not quite as far as the others. Uh, you know, the one who's, like, doing the most, it seems. Yeah. Is not as far as the others. He's only managed to get some electric clippers and a vacuum motor. And apparently his main role as the mastermind Mm -hmm. uh, was to make the life vests and the wooden paddles for the raft. Neither of which required him to actually leave his cell. So now we're on the night of June 11th, 1962. And Morris is now indicating to the others that the top vent is loose enough so they can begin their escape attempt. Morris brought down the dummy heads immediately after lights out at 9.30 p.m. Clarence Anglin 
did try to help Wes get his grate removed by, like, kicking it from the outside. So he went to the utility mm-hmm. corridor and was trying to kick it. But it was to no avail. It didn't do anything. So now the brothers and Morris have two choices. <laughs> we go and leave you behind or we go back to ourselves. After we just did all this. They chose to leave him behind. All right, well, fuck you guys. Um, they climbed 30 feet, 30 feet up the plumbing to the roof, 100 feet across the rooftop, and down 50 feet of piping to the ground by the entrance to the shower area. This is the last time anybody saw them. After this, no one saw them again. They just like, whoop, bye. So, West was later interviewed and said the plan had been to use the raft to get to Angel Island, which was, you know, it's a very little island. They were going to rest there and then re-enter the bay on the other side of Angel Island and swim through a waterway that was called Raccoon Straits, and then they were going to head into Marin County. From there, the plan was to steal a car, burglarize a clothing store, then they were all going to go their own way. I'm going to go my own way. Go your own way. Oh, we're two go different people. I went high school music. I know you did. <laughs> and I went the other way. <clears throat> you did such a good job at high school musical, I had to just go. I did not do a good job. You don't need to flatter me. It's fine. The real kicker for West, he was eventually able to get his vent off. But the others had already gone. Like, they had already disappeared. They would already fucked yeah. off. They were like, bye! Well, I mean, it is every man for themselves in these so, situations. Yeah, he just went back to his cell. He was like, okay. All right, I guess. Cool. Fuck you guys. I would be so fucking pissed. I'd be like, are you... F- I would have just I hope done it die. myself. He has no rafts or anything. How does he even know he made? they made it that far, you know? You know what I mean? Like, oh, they tried, but Mm -hmm. they got caught, which means the guards are busy, busy, which means I can sneak out. But they did make it that way. He he doesn't know that, but they did, yeah. So, you know, he kind of just got screwed, but it's fine. There's still loads of debate um, Mm -hmm. if they were successful or not. The FBI did spend years investigating this. Um, Of course they did. They ultimately... Resolved that the plan had failed. So, I go into a few reasons here. A few, I say. It's fine. <laughs> Their plan, right, was to to make it to the mainland or to Marion County or whatever and steal a car and burglarize a clothing store. But no such crimes were reported in Marion County um, within a 12-day period after the escape had happened. So that right there just seems to be pretty indicative that... They didn't make it. They maybe didn't make it that far. (laughs) Many sources say that none of the men had friends or family that had the financial means uh, to help them. Because realistically, right, they could have had someone put a boat in the water Mm -hmm. to wait for them. But it would have cost thousands of dollars. Yeah. Because there was no way to communicate an exact date or their progress with somebody on the outside. exactly. Because remember, all their letters are being read. Yep. And retyped. So how are they going to have any communication about an escape plan? Right. 
with anybody on the outside. They're yep. not. Just go sit there. So, again, no bodies were found. So some people believe, because no bodies were found, that well, they succeeded. They made it. However. Currents are a bitch. Um, it's actually pretty common for bodies, like in areas like the bay, with water like that. Rough waters, cold waters. Um, and the documentary I was watching, so a lot of people say, oh, there was no man-eaters in the water at the time. But the documentary I was watching, I believe, mentioned bull sharks mm. specifically. So, because bull sharks can live in fresh water or, or salt, salt or, or yeah. yeah. And if there were bull sharks in there, sorry, you're done skis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bull sharks are aggressive. Mm-hmm. But... Given the waters and everything else, it's actually really common for bodies to never be found in areas like this. And in fact, something several people point to, to back up that like it's, it's not weird that the bodies were not recovered, is that the same night of the escape, a black man named Seymour Webb jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge in front of numerous eyewitnesses. The Coast Guard was called. They responded very quickly, like within hours. Mm-hmm. His body was never recovered. Mm. And, like, the significance of that is that he jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. That is the area the men were trying to go to. Mm -hmm. He was never recovered. So if they had drowned, chances are they likely would not have been recovered either. Right. Well, isn't currents a thing, too? Because especially yes. in such a huge body of water yeah, so, like that. And especially with, like, things like structures. So they do talk yeah. about that in the documentary, how, like, the currents get wild yeah. in that area. Like, absolutely Undertow is a wild. Thing. And unless you are, like, a professional swimmer, like, professionally trained. Like, there's a reason they had to call a Coast Guard to come look for Seymour's body. Yeah. Because that is their job. Yeah. Um, and that's like a super dangerous job. Yeah. Not to mention the water temperatures were cold. At the time of like the escape, the water temperatures were around 50, 54 degrees. Ooh. And that's on the top. It's colder uh-huh. below the surface. Uh-huh. So that temperature would have yeah. affected the body's functions in 20 minutes tops. Yeah. So even if they didn't drown, they would have froze. Right. And the next day, like the day after the escape, they found those pictures and those letters. And on one of the life preservers, it had like really deep teeth marks on the valve. So it was thought that like the the homemade clip they had been using to seal the valve had failed, which would make it really difficult for the swimmer to stay afloat. Uh And so like the theory is that like he was trying to bite down to like keep it from letting the air out. Yeah, or maybe, like, or trying to inflate, inflate it, more. it more. Yeah. Either way. I Listen, I've never been a believer that, oh, they're alive and well. No. However. They didn't make it You know. Far. Then, on July 17th, July 17th of 1962, a ship, I'm going to do my best. I did not have time to look up pronunciations. It was a Norwegian freighter, okay, called the SS Norfell. Sure. It had departed from Pier 38. Norfell. And they had reported seeing a body floating about 20 miles northwest of the Golden Gate Bridge. The ship was heading to Canada and uh, didn't report the body until October. What? Yeah, you know. They have radios. 
Don't they? On boats? I mean, it's yeah. Like radios. Yeah, they do. Oh, okay. I don't know if they did on this particular freighter. You would think so. I would assume they had to. But, you know, they're mm-hmm. heading to Canada, and they, they notice something like bobbing in the water. So they, they get up their handy-dandy binoculars, and they confirm it is a body floating face down uh, with the hands and the feet dangling in the water, but the butt was clearly visible, and the body was clothed um, in, like, full-length denim trousers that, like, after they were described, would have appeared to have been very identical to the prison uniform, even though, like, it's been weeks now. They've been bleached by the sun and everything else, but, Mm. you know... It would have been very, very identical to the prison uniform that the men had escaped in. Coroners from San Francisco, San Mateo, Almeida, and Marin counties all confirmed that a body could, in fact, float for five weeks after drowning. So the FBI kind of just considered this one of the most significant leads in the case. Their official report stated that no other people missing or drowned at the time had been wearing similar trousers. So, like, it had to have been one of the men, is, like, essentially what the FBI is saying. But, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, if you think about it, the, like, thick, heavy denim yeah. trousers they were wearing, those are heavy. Mm-hmm. There's going to be hard to swim in. Yeah. Not to mention, once your clothes get wet... You have essentially just, like, moments before hypothermia begins to kick in. Mm -hmm. And, like, thick, heavy clothing, like denim, holds that water in. That's why when you go, like, hiking and stuff, they tell you to wear, like, like linens and, and stuff like that. Because it's thin, and it doesn't hold as much water against your body. It doesn't... Water seeps your body temperature. Yes. The the families of both of the Anglin brothers said that the escape had been a topic of family discussions for years. <laughs> None of the family, though, had ever been contacted by them, and all of the family was sure that they would have at least attempted to make some sort of contact if they had survived. Yeah. So the families just think they died. They drowned. The families don't even believe they made it. And this is one of my uh, not-so-really-fun facts. Um, the third brother, Alfred, must run in the family, had been electrocuted while attempting to escape from Kilby Prison in Montgomery, Alabama in 1964. Oh, jeez. So these poor families. <laughs> like, granted, you're not losing the greatest people in the world, but this is still your family. Yeah. And now you've lost all three brothers. <laughs> That's rough. Ultimately, the FBI decided there was not enough evidence to conclude that the men had succeeded, um, and they found nothing on land that would indicate that they'd even made it to land. Wow. So, like I said, they're considered missing and presumed drowned, Um, and this is where I could have gone into so much more, but I chose not to. I can do more later. If y'all decide you want to hear more, if you want me to go more in depth um, (laughs) about it, just send us an email or... Comment on the Instagram post. Yeah. Because I would totally go and, like, do much more detailed stuff about, like, more escape theories and stuff. 
I think it sums it up pretty good. That's a pretty good ending for Alcatraz. Yeah. Because you'll never know. It's no. always going to be an open-ended question. No, I, mean, I don't know. Scientifically, it's just not plausible that they would make it. Uh-uh. Medically, it's just not plausible that they would make it. No. And why? Because the boat was found on the shore, right, of Alcatraz? Or was it? Well, they only found a few life jackets. Oh, they didn't find the boat. It was just the life jackets. Mm-hmm. They found two life preservers. Huh. Wild. So much more research I could do, but yeah. I decided to spare y'all unless you wanted more. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for listening to a third part of Alcatraz. Yeah. And all of them were like an hour long, over an hour long. Anyway, so make sure you are following us on Instagram, Twitter. TikTok. TikTok. We'll post the Al Capone videos. Yep. Uh, they should already be posted by the time this is air, released. Yeah. But um, Oh, and thank you so much. Um, we have like 72, 73 listeners, according to our analytics, just from Spotify. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate it. Oh, the email. So make sure if you have anything that you want to listen to, like suggestions that you want us to do. Or like if you want more on Alcatraz. And that too. <laughs> uh, send us those at our email and listener stories. If you have any spooky stories or you know of any true crime that has happened to you, around you, near you, or you just know something that we don't know, send that to the email. We'll read them. We really... Oh, yeah. It would be... Yeah. It'd be really awesome if you did because it would make my life easier <laughs> when she has this baby to do... a. Uh, Oh, we're going to do listener episodes. We're just going to start from right. the bottom and go to the top. Ready, set, go. Boom. Exactly. Um, if you do send us um, a story, though, make sure to let us know, like, if you want to remain anonymous or not. Yeah. Because um, we don't want to be, like, saying people's names if they don't want them said. Yeah. Or if you have a screen name, we'll mm-hmm. read that, too. Or if you have certain pronouns you want to be addressed by, please also put that in the yeah. email so we can respectfully address you. Yeah. We, we are respectful over here. Anyway, that's all. Thanks, girls. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Yeah.